Hey everybody, welcome back to the next cast. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Tyler. Indeed he is. He is Tyler. And, uh, yeah, if you are watching this live, you probably are wondering, wait a minute, isn't this Friday, not Thursday? Good deduction. That it is indeed Friday, not Thursday. So, if you watch, are watching live or plan to watch live in the future, I'm just going to put this out there right here at the beginning, we've moved our live record dates from Thursday at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time to Friday around 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. So that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future, at least. And that's my problem because of meetings and stuff. Um, also, that means that if you are listening to the audio version of this, it will be coming out on Saturdays now instead of Fridays. And if you are a Patreon, you get early access to that audio. You'll get it on Fridays instead of Thursdays. So everything will be a day later. It's just going to be, unfortunately, the way it is for a little while. So this is the Linux cast. We talk about, you know, Linuxy things, usually. Um, although we did just spend 20 minutes talking about my TikTok addiction, um, <laughs> where I <laughs> com- somebody compared it to cancer, and then I said, well, cancer sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> look, look, we're just all worried about you, man. It's all this. We I care. T- okay? I, I swear to God, it's the cat videos. It's... Cats are hilarious, and when you put them on camera, they perform. Like, <laughs> it's great. I can't we help can it. We can get you help. It's it, it, it's totally okay. Here's my recommendation for anybody who hasn't downloaded TikTok yet. Don't do it. Like, yeah. I love it, but once you've downloaded it and got into it, you can't get it behind, get, leave it behind. Like, Essentially, what's happening right now is the equivalent of a meth head telling you, "Yeah, you probably shouldn't do meth." <laughs> it's exactly yeah. the what it is, you know. They they, yeah. <laughs> they make the good stuff. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is not the TikTok <laughs> cast. We won't talk about it anymore. I can't help. It. I understand as a false advocate, I should be saying, oh, "Oh my God, I'm sending all my data to China," but China already has all my data, and I lied about everything. I didn't give them my real name or my real email address. Don't worry about all that. I'm good. I'm very anonymous. They don't know. They don't know me in China. Anyways, you you do know TikTok grabs your entire clipboard, right? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. What does it matter? Have it all. It's good. Just give me cat videos. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's that addiction, man. I don't care what the cost is. It's so get much it to fun. Me, I can't. I, there's so little to laugh about, and there's you know, good stuff on TikTok. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is the Linux cast. We talk about Linuxy things. We won't talk about TikTok anymore. Uh, Tyler, what have you been doing this week on Linux? Uh, well, I really have just been using BSPWM like and just kind of enjoying it like i've been playing a lot of vampire survivors um which runs fine on linux um i don't know if i if i've said this before just in case anyone's like gonna go get it and like wants to play it because it's super cheap on steam and it's a great game um look do the public beta like right click on it go to properties and do the public beta on Linux and it'll work fine. Uh, it's for some reason you just need the, the beta for it to work fine. But um, yeah, uh, BSPWM is just so good. Like it, it uses my ultra wide in just the best way vertically. It's awesome. Um, which 
I went ahead and also this week moved my monitor side like horizontal. Uh, so I've got both my um, regular 1080p 16 by 9 monitor horizontal and this one both horizontal. And there's too much like so here's like I'm looking at one edge of a screen. <laughs> now I'm at the other one. <laughs> there's there's too much screen real estate around me. For for the audio <laughs> listeners, he looked like he was at a t- tennis match going from one end to the other. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. Also, analytic minded said he he also just hopped. He was talking about you. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, and I only moved. Uh, I only ended up going with Arch. I tried to install Debian, but Debian's Xorg was broken. Like for some reason, like and I just it, it was probably a simple fix, probably something very stupid, like whatever. But I was just unwilling to fix it, so I just installed Arch and it worked fine. Um, but You're back as on, of man. today, the past couple of days, I've been working with MinTalk. Uh, over on discord um and we're making like just a funny kind of just fan version of um vampire survivors um with a whole bunch of unreal mega scans meta human assets and stuff like that so we're making like kind of a hyper realistic version of the game but i will go ahead and say like most likely it's gonna be terribly performant like, because there's going to be a lot of enemies, and we're using very high-quality assets, so it's probably going to run like dog poo-poo. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're having fun messing around with that right now. Um, but I'll probably be back in Arch um, probably here in a day or so, because I want to do uh, some content on a little application that I just found out about that seems pretty interesting, but I don't know if i'm gonna like it so uh there might be a video on a cool like little linux um game dev application here before too long Mm. but yeah that's what i've been up to what about you brother all right so first i'm gonna start out with your arch thing i'm still on vanilla arch i did not hop but i will have to (laughs) say that normally when i install vanilla arch i always have some problem something or the other that just bothers me so i have to go to something else usually that something else is arco this time and i'm gonna knock on some wood here this system has been running so good and it's been using about half as much memory as arco did like half it's like nuts like usually at this time when i'm running obs discord i have 14 workspaces open right now i have seven on this one seven on that one uh and i'm literally not even like i'm not even kidding about that there's there's 14 workspaces here and like there's just a ton of stuff open i'm using that's not surprising at all 13 I, I gigabytes love, I, of, I love how you tell me that you're using a lot of workspaces like i'm supposed to be surprised right <laughs> <laughs> i'm using 13 gigabytes of ram normally it's in the 20s when i'm doing this on arco it's nuts so this has been way better, and I don't, I no clue why that is. Like I'm no clue why, because it's all the same stuff. Like yeah. it's stuff. Um, but anyways, yeah, Arch has been this install has just been running. Oh, so good. Um, I, I'm wondering. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me, but this is my first UEFI install. I'm wondering if that has something to do with how good it's running. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't think so, because that just has to do with the boot, right? But I don't know. It's the only thing I can think of that's different. Anyways, the the real thing that I wanted to talk about. So, 
a couple months ago, I bought this Master. If you're watching the video version, you can see I'm holding up an MX Master 3. And uh, this is a wonderful mouse. Um, and okay. it's very uh, you know, ergonomic and very good. The problem is, and I, you probably can't hear this over the thing, but I have a, it's the left mouse button is squeaky. And it was driving me freaking moniker. So this mouse only lasted about two months. Now, I know you can replace the switches, but I'm not just screw that. Um, I'm not going to get out the soldering gun just to replace a switch on a mouse. But anyways, so what I did is I switched back to the Alcom Huge trackball. And I did not like this trackball mouse when I first tried it. I talked about it on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I've been using it now for four or five days it's fantastic it's so good um the the thing is <laughs> the funny thing is, is is when i first got it and it was so like it, it was so inaccurate i looked up the thing about it and everyone said you had to break it in like you had to use it for a while in order to get it to work really well and i didn't listen to them because yep why would i do that mm-hmm. i mean seriously i know everything they couldn't possibly know <laughs> they're talking about um (laughs) but anyways after using this now for four or five days it's broken in and it's either i've gotten used to it or it's broken in and it's very accurate it's very comfortable also i got this little like mouse rest thing again i'm holding it up on camera it looks like a half a donut (laughs) um and you went i mean this probably cost them 10 cents to make in china and uh, it's supposed to have memory foam on top of this shit. is harder than hell, but it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it supports. It just changes the way I use the Alicom Huge in such a way that it's so much more comfortable than it was before. Because while you're supposed to be able to like rest your rest your wrist at the bottom of this, my hands are so fucking gigantuan, you know, <laughs> that my wrist hangs off the end. It's like I have a gigantic man hand here, and it was so uncomfortable. So adding that um, wrist rest at the end has it so that there's a place for I can you know, rest my wrist, and it just makes it so much more comfortable. Because it's been working so well, I downloaded Input, key, input Remapper or whatever it's called, and this has three programmable buttons on it. And I set the two of them to... OBS shortcuts so that I can change scenes with those two little uh, switches or uh, buttons next to the the ball, the, the mouse, the scroll or whatever. It's awesome. It's so good. It's like it's just completely changed the way I record my videos because now I don't have to remember which key binding I have set to those scenes. Half the time I never used the key binding. So now I have those things are just, you know, just one, two, and it's amazing. So, yeah, highly recommend the Alcom Huge if you can actually buy one. Uh, they're pretty much always out of stock. Oh, also, that had like, nothing to do with Linux, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I track, about, trackball uh, usage is more popular on Linux. Like, you just hear more people talking about using a trackball on Linux. You really, but, I mean, you really do because it's maybe it's a nerd thing. I I guess so, or, or uh, I don't know, like because trackballs are just not very mainstream, like. I, I guess people more into computers are going to be the people who are like willing to try it as like just kind of a let's see how this is. Like, 
I don't know. But also, too, like, a lot of the times when it comes to trackballs, they're surprisingly accurate. Like, you really don't get how accurate a trackball is until you use one. You're like, this is scary accurate. Like, you can fling it and be super fast and then stop on a dime. Yeah. And it, it it's so nice. You, which, and I think you'd probably agree with me on this. If you're thinking of switching to a trackball... Don't give up after the first week um, because it is a different way of using a mouse. I mean, it really does no. take some getting used to. And if you're like me, I didn't give it that week and got frustrated after a few days. And it's just like the the Logitech one that I have, is the, which is a thumb tracker, that really puts some effort into your thumb. Like, I, I understand, lazy man here, but it, it, you know, those muscles aren't things you use very often. You can get fucking tired when you use it a lot, right? Um, no. So you're gonna have to, you know, use it for a while, get some muscle memory, and get good at it. Um, if you're not, if you don't give it that time to get good at it, you're just gonna go back to using a regular mouse. No. So. Well, and also it's different. It's not like it's. It's just like getting a whole new keyboard layout. Like, it's going to take time to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not you're better with your keyboard afterwards is, you know, it's it's debatable, at, like, for whether or not you'll be that person where you'll be faster because you have a different keyboard layout. Some people won't end up being any faster, but for most people, if it's a more optimized one, yeah. And that's the thing with trackballs. Like, they're they're very accurate, um, especially if you if you get really good at using a trackball, like even in video games, you can use a trackball and be pretty accurate with them. Um, but a trackball is something that you're not used to, so you have to be willing to give it time to get get used to and know that you won't immediately be as efficient with a trackball. Like it might you you might immediately really like it, like the feel of using a trackball, but you're not going to immediately be nearly as fast. And the biggest thing with trackballs that I hear is, um, one, like understand that you probably will need to clean your trackball periodically. Um, most people don't understand that. Like you probably do need to clean it. And then two, there are quite a number of trackball like devices that genuinely do have a break in. Like you have to, like, it's like a, it's it's like your old car like or, or or whatever where you would get better gas mileage as it like as you drove it like broke it in like it's the same kind of thing with your trackball mice you just well, like, be willing to give it the time to break in this is not my metaphor I still for someone else they they talk about it like it's a cast iron skillet where that you have to oh, yeah. you have to season it right you have to you have to yeah. make sure that it has what makes it you know smooth and strolling is the skin oil that it picks up after a little bit of use. Now it sounds gross, but that's what makes it smooth and more accurate. And that only happens after a little while. So, um, and you talked about gaming just real quick. I, I I was supposed to make a video about this or write a blog post or something, but, um, you know, you've made it as a YouTuber when a company sends you hardware to review. <laughs> Somebody yeah. sent me a trackball to review. It's called the Game Ball. Here's my review of it. It's okay. It's was the first trackball that I used out of the box that was super accurate and had no break-in period. Uh, but the form factor is um, mediocre. 
at the best because what they try I, I don't have it near me so i can't show you but um if you if you look at it, it they try to make it so that it could work for both right and left handers so it's a uh, a, a finger a finger a finger tracker instead of a thumb tracker and uh they put the ball in the center and it's so narrow along the body of it it's just supremely uncomfortable to hold because they tried to make it so both lefties and righties can use it and um it's very accurate if you can get past the ergonomics of it but if you use a trackball mouse because of the ergonomics this is definitely not one that you would want to use um i probably could have gotten used to it but it's also corded it's not wireless so they want they wanted to remove all the latency so it's you know has this big gigantic non-removable usb cord and um it, reminds, it was like what is this the 1980s <laughs> you know you know um first of all I, like i understand the latency problem like you don't want to mess around with 2.4 gigahertz like dongles or whatever um but non-removable in this day and age just like, like let me remove no. it so that i can route the damn thing i mean um, the now, nowadays even 40 dollar mechanical keyboards which i don't even understand how you get mechanical switches even knockoffs at yeah. that cheap they come with USB-C like removable like, how just come on yeah. give it just give it to me come on i'm yeah, spending so, enough money let's yeah. make it happen captain yep let's go totally agree um so yeah the the, the game ball um they sent it to me. There was my review. Um, to the guy who sent it to me, thanks for sending it to me. I'm sorry I didn't do a dedicated video on it, but I didn't want to make a video about your thing and be so negative about it. So, um, Well, I don't think that's negative. Like, that's just very constructive criticism. Like, well, I, it's not I, bad. I, I was mean, not... It's, it's not like you gave it a scathing review at all. You yeah. were like, yeah, it's still good. <laughs> well, it was very it was very accurate. It was definitely would work really well in games. I remember, I'm not a gamer, so I can't really tell you. Say, hey, oh yeah, you can go play some... <laughs> some CSGO on this thing and be perfectly happy. I don't, I mean, that's like me sending you an Xbox elite controller and you being like, I mean, yeah, it's a good controller, but like, I mean, it, I, I play like two games a year. Yeah. It's, so. just, it, it's not something that I can accurately speak on, uh, but from a regular daily use perspective, it was fine. Just er the ergonomics were off and that cord really bothered me. So um, anyways, uh, I also, I know that I wasn't the only one that had problems with ergonomics, uh, craft computing, uh, got one in for review and he had the same problem so um, anyway so wow we have run the gamut already and we're only 20 minutes in uh yes. <laughs> we're talked start off with tiktok talked about bspwm and arch and trackballs <laughs> what, what's next nobody knows all right so moving on to the contact information if you want to get in contact with us you can do so at the next cast on twitter you can uh Follow and find pretty much all of the previous episodes and blog posts and stuff at the linuxcast.org. You can follow Tyler, who goes by Zany online. I got that right this week. Uh, he's at youtube.com slash zanyog. You're, oh, like, you're getting close to 2,500 now, subscribers, something like that? Uh, I, maybe. I don't, I, I would be surprised. I thought I was still at like 2.1 or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, his channel's fine. You should go over and subscribe to him. He does a lot of Thanks. game stuff. Like, he, he streams, like, a lot. <laughs> like, the man never sleeps. 
I tell you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, Zany, uh, YouTube.com slash ZanyoG. Uh, he's also on Discord and Odyssey and all those stuff. You can find those links at uh, the Linuxcast.org slash contact. And make sure you subscribe to uh, my channel on YouTube, YouTube.com slash Linuxcast, where you'll find uh, daily Linux content of varying degrees of quality. Should make that my uh, slogan. Varying degrees of quality, usually below average. <laughs> Tyler disappeared because of the blue screen. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. Anyways, uh, that is the contact information. So, Tyler, every single week, you and I, we scour the interwebs for the most latest, breaking, and exclusive news to bring to the masses here on the Linux cast. So, what was your news this week? Oh, mine is, there was a um, interesting little Linux backdoor fault, um, and it was, like, real nasty. So, um, again, like, just in case anyone has somehow been misled into believing that we are experts on, like, security or some shit, that's not true at all. I just can read and this is kind of bad because so w what the malware is i think they've dubbed it symbiote um but what makes it different from other linux malware is that uh that these researchers typically come across is that it needs to infect other running processes to inflict damage on infected machines uh instead of being a standalone executable file that uh that is run to infect a machine this uh this Malware is a shared object library that is loaded into all running processes using LD preload um, and then parasitically infects the machine. Once it has infected all of the running processes, it provides the threat actor with rootkit functionality, obviously, because they run all the processes on your machine. Um, and so they can harvest anything, credentials, remote access, like they can, they can do any, like anything. And yeah. Um, I'm going to assume because there's already been this article published that it's already patched. So like update, update your shit and you'd be good. But it's just, this one was interesting to read. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is bad. Like that sounds real nasty. Cause it's an infect. It's essentially just an infected library that's shared by essentially everything. Well, yeah, and nobody pays attention to what libraries you download, right? When you download an application that downloads a ton of libraries, like, hello, Pandoc downloads the, like, a ton of Haskell libraries. <laughs> like, you could sneak something in there, and I would have no clue because I can always ignore it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's Haskell. Like, you could totally slip something into Haskell and have nobody notice. There's so many – there's so much stuff to do in Haskell. But, I mean, I think that's true with most languages. I think oh. you could make that argument with – plenty of different ones but point still stands well, yeah, python too python always has a ton of libraries that you have to download with your with the application the thing about yeah. python though is that python's so standard usually you have most of those libraries already on your computer right um yeah that's a it's a very weird attack vector because usually it's just an executable that somebody downloads from a link in their email or something mm -hmm. and this yep. seems to be completely different that's um kind of scary all right moving on to something that we can bitch about uh, microsoft has which owns github by the way if you haven't noticed microsoft uh, owns github and uh, they have decided that they're going to discontinue development on the atom text editor now 
I'm not sure if anyone actually uses the Atom Text Editor anymore. The thing is pretty old and kind of long in the tooth at this point, but it was open source, I believe. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that people would use uh, as an alternative to something like VS Code, but because Microsoft w therefore owns both of them, they decided to axe the open source one and uh, focus on VS Code instead, which is, of course, proprietary. Um, I just want to say this, color me surprised that Microsoft has chosen to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, at the same time, like, they're really, in all honesty, like, most people weren't really for Adam anyway. Yeah. Like, it was... I mean, almost, there's really nothing that you can do in Atom that can't be done in VS Code or many other competitors. And so it's kind of, I kind of understand it from Microsoft's perspective. Like, why do why do we manage two text editors when one is just a dumbed-down version of the other one that we have anyway? And if you want an open-source version of VS Code, there is VS Codium. So... I mean, that's a good point. Like, why why manage it? I I I, un, I understand it from that perspective. I also understand being upset because it's like, well, I like Adam. Like, uh, there's definitely those people out there that do enjoy it and use it. And, well, I mean, you would understand because why would they maintain two text editors or you know code editors that are basically aiming to do the same kind of thing, right? They'd have to maintain no. developers for both of them. And, of course, they were going to axe the one that nobody uses. I mean, because in, in relative speak, compared to VS Code, Atom is very small. So, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, but, of course, it's Microsoft, so we have to um, ding them. So, that's just mm. you know, a thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm surprised at how much people are actually... Because, do you know anybody who actually uses Adam? No, and and actually, one time when I used it, I think it was in a live stream or something, I actually got more people complaining that I used Adam than anything else. They were mostly just like, there's so many different alternatives to Adam, why, why are you using it? So... I don't I know. Don't, I, I, I don't think Adam's really all that popular. I know tons of people who use VS Code. Like, just, like, tons of people. Even, like, diehard, uh, like, FOSS advocates will use VS Code. Mm -hmm. I don't know a single person who uses Adam. The only thing I do know is that it comes pre-installed on Arch Linux. <laughs> or, not Arch, oh, Arch, but Arco. Um, I was about to say on Arch. It's the only program that comes pre-installed on Vanilla Arch. You got to, <laughs> you can start it with Stardex and stuff. <laughs> it's <laughs> <hilarious>. so wild. <laughs> no, I'm at Arco, but still, it's the it's still the thing, right? Anyway, so that's the news. Um, nothing really all that interesting uh, this week. Although I did see. That, that this is not in the show notes, but System76 is building a a distribution center in Europe. So if you are in the if you're across the pond and you want to uh, buy a System76 thing, eventually you're gonna be able to do that, which is really cool. Um, I wish that this had some like uh, 
I wish this gave me some hope that some of the European Linux hardware manufacturers would come across stateside because, I mean, everyone, I mean, American exceptionalism and all that stuff, but Europe and Great Britain and stuff, they have access to some of the greatest Linux hardware, and we don't get any of that stuff. I mean, if we're being honest, though, is there a faster way as a Linux or FOSS company to become like under much more scrutiny than to go multinational. Yeah, true. I mean, they follow all the rules though of the EU. So I mean, Oh yeah. But I mean, I feel like in the Linux space, like it's not that like people will not like you for getting big. Like that's not true at all, but definitely in the Linux space, we get very much more critical of companies when they get very big. Mm -hmm. So like if your company gets to a point where it can be like, international like you just come under more scrutiny which is like neither here nor there i'm just saying like it's kind of a thing for why i don't think many companies who are doing at the very least decent where they are don't have a like a real drive to go international like you might make might make more profit as long as you can do it but eh, you'll you'll get under more scrutiny yeah, yeah. um just a Final word on that System76 thing, just so everybody knows, I don't want to give them false hope. They're going to start out with a keyboard. So the first thing you'll be able to buy there is their $300, quote-unquote, custom mechanical keyboard. Um, And as a keyboard enthusiast, which everybody knows that I am, Mm -hmm. uh, that is not a custom keyboard. Just don't buy that thing and think you have a custom keyboard. You have have a pre-built keyboard, which doesn't mean that it's bad. There are plenty of good pre-built custom keyboards out there, but it's not custom you did not build it, so <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a keyboard enthusiast. I can't help it. It's like uh, I, I love that details matter. It's, you did it's, not it's build it. like all the Arch guys who just get so pissy when I say that like Arco or um, you know Endeavor or whatever is Arch Linux. <laughs> it's so mad yeah. when somebody says that. Um, I get really mad when people call their keyboards custom when they did not build them. So it's it's dumb. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's what that's what System76 is going to start out with is the keyboard. Uh, they plan on bringing the rest of their stuff, you know, in the future. The the thing is, they're going to have to retool all their laptops to have that really weird enter button, the the mm-hmm. ISO layout. So that's going to have to take a, a little while for them to do. Um, I assume that the desktops will probably follow pretty soon because the desktops they, they won't have that problem. Although it's weird because they're sell- they're going to sell that um, that launch keyboard with the ANSI layout instead of the, I mean, or maybe they're not. I don't I don't actually know. The, the picture that they showed on the news item was the ANSI layout, not the ISO layout or whatever. So um, I have no idea. I have not been keeping up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Let's go ahead and move on to the main topic, which is is the AUR overrated? So. Um, this is a conversation, or this is a topic that stems from a conversation that I had on the on my Discord server uh, this past week, and I don't, I, I apologize for the people who were in that conversation. Uh, I've totally forgotten all of you. Uh, I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> well, there were so many I can't remember their names. But anyways, um, we were talking about the AUR, and uh, I I have been a staunch advocate and very uh, vocal. Um, you know, supporter of the AUR for, well, for several since I started using Arch Linux. Like it's because it's 
the reason to use Arch Linux. And um, mm -hmm. so a lot of people have come back and said that hold on a second they're having they're having damn it tech hut you started something when you said nano <laughs> in, the, in the chat now everybody's like oh this is better than that <laughs> if, if you're watching the video version look at the chat right now it's fantastic <laughs> anyways um there you are uh somebody came back and said that the aur is overrated simply because if you use another distribution like Debian or Ubuntu or Fedora or whatever, are there really a, that many packages that you can't get on them that you can get in the AUR? And it got me thinking about it. Like, when I use Debian, I can think of exactly two packages, two, that I couldn't get on Debian that I could get on Arch because they're in the AUR. And one of them was Alacrity, uh, and I'm pretty sure the other one was Polybar, and Polybar is, has since been added to the Debian repos. So now there's only no. one. So, and that's just me. I mean, that's a personal experience. So it made me start thinking, is the AUR actually all that it's cracked up to be? So, Tyler, your thoughts on this? Yes and no. I think the AUR is all it's cracked up to be for... Um, for most cases, like, you know, it's a super easy way to get almost any piece of software. Like I have been, did you know that instead of like the only way on Linux to get the unreal engine running on Linux is to download it from source and build it on your own system. There's no pre-compiled binary supplied, no nothing except through the AUR. That's the only place in Linux where you'll find a pre-compiled like binary that you can just well it's obviously not pre-compiled but you know like a compiler for it where you don't have to do anything you just run it. Mm. That's kind of nuts. That's the only place you're gonna find it, um, as far as I know. I don't know of anywhere else that has it. Um, so I I don't know. I think I I think the AUR is a fantastic tool for getting obscure software that you need in an easy fashion that doesn't mean it's re like hyper reliable doesn't mean maintainers are bountiful it it also doesn't mean that it's secure but if you need an easy way of getting software for definitely obscure pieces of software they are fantastic it's probably the best resource in linux for getting that stuff the the point about obscure pieces of software is really good because when I talked to her a few a few minutes ago about my experience with Debian, that just really kind of uh, applied to like the everyday packages. Like you know, Firefox is there and OBS is there and you know all this stuff is there. Like the the the, the mainstream packages for the applications that are like off the beaten path. Like the one I'm going to be used for the thingy of the week this week, it's in the AUR, but I guarantee that it's not in the Debian repositories, right? It's just, it's just not. It's, it's a brand new application, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not. It's going to be things like that where the AUR shines, where because anybody can add. It's so easy to add your code to the AUR, because while yes, it's moderated, it's not that moderated, and you know, 
pretty much anybody can do it with like the 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 debian stuff you have to push that up to debian it has to be included in their you know repositories approved and all this stuff and then it filters down into like ubuntu and linux mint and stuff right uh the process of going through that is or at least from my very naive understanding of it seems uh, more tedious than putting something into the aur because you can just put it there and uh, the moderation of it is such that really they only check and make sure you're not you know malware or you know um spamming the AUR, you know? So uh, I think they really just check to make sure that you're not spamming. I don't even know if they do checks to make sure you're not malware. I don't know, like, honestly. Um, I know they have like a mailing list or something where people discuss that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't really pay much, that much attention to it. But the, uh, I, the thing I love about the AUR is that the idea behind it is so good. Like a single place where you can get all of your applications like and i know there's someone out there saying right now well isn't that the idea behind snaps and flat packs kind of but really snaps and flat packs were more developed because of the containerization stuff right yeah. that's the reason why they were that's not that's not the idea behind the aur the aur is more for the more the idea of a community centered like Ubuntu had a very, or no, I guess it wasn't Ubuntu, but the, the the ideas behind PPAs were where people could create their own repositories and maintain them and have software in them. And the idea was good, but the problem was is that everyone could create their own PPA. So what we ended up with was uh, an entire ecosystem of PPAs where uh, some people were really good maintainers, some people created the PPA and then never did anything with it ever again. You know, uh, they never updated it for new versions of Ubuntu. You know, it, it was a mess. That's the reason why, one of the reasons why they created Snaps was because they, and then kept it closed source so people couldn't create another Snap store and they'd have like 12 different Snap stores. Whatever. The idea behind the AUR is similar to that in, of PPAs, but instead of everyone creating their own repositories, which you can actually do, um, yeah. like you can create your own repositories. DistroTube has one. I know that a lot of people have their own repositories for the for Arch, but for the most part, everyone seems to have gotten behind the idea that it's better if we just have this one gigantic ass repository, mm -hmm. uh, you know, f full of software. And because everyone has gotten behind that idea, you know, it's allowed you to have this ecosystem of software that is very much unparalleled anywhere else in the you know Linux world and it's kind of awesome. I think that's the reason yeah. why the AUR is just so good. Yeah. Well, I mean it's focused on ease of use. Like mm -hmm. um, that's that, that's really it. Like most of the people that want to harp on like how insecure it might be, it's like, well, it's literally just it's just a place to like go and actually I think someone commented something like pretty much exactly like this but um i'm trying to see see who it was but i can't see it oh uh grim grim sys admin said it's essentially just a place for arch arch users to get together and shell share builds of packages with each other that's that's pretty much it and, and so it's it's just created an environment where getting a piece of software is very easy like that's it and 
I think that's why a lot of people say it's hard to leave it because there is ease of use is not everything, but there's definitely something to be set for it. Well, then you don't realize how much you like that you are until the first time you leave it and have to build something on your own. Yeah. Like, like because built so. If if you're new to Linux, there's a misconception that building software is really hard, and it can it can be tedious and it can be you know full of brambles and stuff. Like there are definitely situations where you try to build an application where things just don't work because you don't have a de- the proper dependencies or you know there's a symlink somewhere that's wrong. That definitely happens, but for the most part, if you build something on your own, uh, you can do it. However, there are so many different ways of building a package. So if you download a REST program, it has to be built with cargo. If you're downloading something that's built, you know, coded in C, you have to use make or make, in, uh, make, uh, make SI, whatever it's called, um, make package. You know, there's tons of them. Like, you know, there's, there's pip and there's, you know, the one. Um, CMake, Mason. Yeah, there's dozens of these things. The Haskell has one. I mean, nobody uses it, but you can see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all have them. And, and that's the biggest problem with That's the biggest benefit of the AUR is that you don't need to know what the program you're downloading is built in. Like you, there's no need for you to know whether or not it's a Rust program or C or Haskell or Python or whatever, Lua, whatever. You know, it's just you, you Paru dash S the program, and it takes care of it for you. It, it still uses the same tools, like it still uses Cargo or whatever, you know, but it will then it just build it for you. You don't have to worry about doing any of that stuff. Plus, it pulls in all the dependencies in there that you need to build the program which is exactly what you would want it to do like if you because you, you can't build without the dependencies so yeah um it's very i mean very fanboyish but aur is just so good so it leads me to this question someone i don't remember who i'm and i'm not gonna scroll up to find out but I, uh someone says that it's been very hard to replicate on other distributions and uh most most distributions aren't even haven't even tried to to replicate it. So here's the question. If they are so good, why hasn't everyone done it? Like a version of it. I'm not saying like everyone should use they are just more. Why haven't they created some version of it? What do you think? Well, um, I don't know. Arch has a massive community and they wanted to do it and they did it. Um, there's like most, most communities that are not Arch are divided on whether or not they should have something like the AUR. Um, but then again, at the same time, like Debian, like Debian, Debian's doing their own like AUR competitor, like Debian user repository or whatever. Like, so that's a thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think, uh, I think most, most other distributions have their, equivalent or solution for something like the AUR that they deem fit for what they like. Um, I mean, Gentoo has like overlays, which are practically the same thing. Um, like, Slack I mean, just, has something similar to yeah. builds or whatever. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think, I, I think in general, <clears throat> most distributions agree that having kind of a, 
maybe not maybe not centralized, but at least having a method for their users to get together and share package builds is pretty good. Like it's a good idea and it fosters a very diverse software ecosystem. But I, I, I don't know. There's all, especially with Linux, because you can't really make it, it. Even though we all do it, it's hard to make sweeping statements about Linux that are ever going to be even slightly true. Cause there's so many different people and so many different ways to use Linux, so many different implementations and, um, ideologies behind different distros so there will always be some that think anything like an aur is just a net negative but i think most distributions agree that having something at the very least like the aur is a beneficial thing yeah unfortunately most of their solutions seem to be focused on snaps or flat packs that well i mean it i mean if you if if you think about it it makes sense too because it's pretty easy to implement like you don't have to lay any groundwork you just go flat packs boom well, and they're both really supported like there's there's a lot of applications in those repositories and you know it's it's not as if they're horrendous like i, I know we make fun of yeah. snaps like you know a lot but i mean you, i wasn't crapping on flat packs or or anything but like from a development standpoint like if if you're gonna try and come up with a solution to the problem of not having enough package builds going around or enough software diversity. Like flat packs is an easy way to get a massive amount of software on a system. Mm-hmm. And from a development standpoint, it's not lazy, but it's much easier than the other options. Building your Why own. Not? It's easier than building. It's easier to take someone else's and then yeah. build your own. The, and sometimes this... it would be better than what you would do. Like, I mean, if you got a really small team, makes sense too. Well, I mean, yeah, and I mean, like you said, small team plus resources. I guess stuff takes, you know, money, right? Um, yep. All this kind of leads me to ask the real question that we should be answering is, what the hell is going on with app images? <laughs> like, 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 the thing about app images is, is like, in in theory, app images should be the thing we should all use. Because it's yeah. just the it's just the program. You click on it, it should run. That's the mm-hmm. way, in theory, it should work, right? Yeah. And that sounds fantastic. Like you download Alacrity, click on it, it's already there. It's like it's similar to like what Mac like Mac does when when you download something from Mac, you can like drag it into your applications folder. It's there. That's how you install it. There's no mm-hmm. wizards. There's no getting into the terminal and waiting for Snap or Flatpak or the AUR to build something. You just click on it, it runs. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't understand is how they've took that vision and messed it up for so long. Now they, they've seemed to have fixed it now, like that now they have like a app image store or whatever, where you can click and it will install properly. But for the vast majority of the history of app images, the way you would have to do it is you open up your file browser, Dolphin or Crusader in my, you know, in my case right click on it make it executable and then click on it but the only place then you could actually launch that program was from the file browser you can install you can launch it from rofi or your system menu you know that's the vast majority of the time that app images have been around that's how it worked so 
I, I guess I don't like Avamages could have won. Like if they hadn't messed that up. Right? No. I mean that's that's really the thing about Avamages is it's like they're not really doing anything wrong now. Like it's 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 weird. Like I I wanna accept that they've gotten a lot better, but also at the same time I'm like, man, if you could have done it any quicker would have been great for you. Well, they're too late now. Snaps and flat yeah. packs have, have become, they've propagated themselves amongst the, the Linux distributions. When when you build a Linux distro, you choose between snaps and flat packs or none at all. You don't choose between snap, flat packs, and app images. App images for most distributions aren't even an option. They don't even consider them. I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's going to be a... Well, I mean, that's something that you do. Like, that's all up to you. The distribution itself doesn't even give app... Most distributions don't even acknowledge app images' existence until you want to install them. Well, like, I mean, like, okay. just look at the most recent version of, of Ubuntu. They took out a dependency that app image required in order to even run, right? And I'm sure they didn't do it because they wanted to screw over flat packs. Um but they did do it also yeah. hello dog well, it's just that's how irrelevant <laughs> they are to them like they're just like, eh. like we didn't even notice that it broke anything right because so, who uses app images if they had been able to fix that their their things sooner if, if app images had been made it so that there was a, always a store that you could go to like that's the first thing that snaps and flat packs did right is they had a store right but also Ooh. When you install a snap or a flat pack, it shows up like a regular application, um, you know, and that wasn't always the case for app images, and that's where they went wrong. So, um, the app, the reason why I brought up app images is because it could have been the thing, right? It could have been, like, if they'd done it right, it could have been the thing. Nobody would have been talking about the AUR. Hold on a second, I'm gonna let the dog back out. <laughs> there you go. No, you don't want to leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass dog. <laughs> Hi. You want to be on the podcast? Okay. I'll just go. I'll just leave. You be the pot. You'd be the host. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So this weekend, dog treats. <laughs> <laughs> the lunch cast with special guest Missy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, it's just I don't know. It's one of those things that I always, I always think about is because, like, we love the AUR so much that it just feels like they should have something like this throughout all of Linux. Like, and of course, there's the the whole thing about you know the Linux developers in the world of Linux development can't agree on anything, right? So they're all always going to be doing their own thing like that's the reason why we have nine different package managers uh that's the reason why we have you know all this stuff so the 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 pipe dream of having an aur that encompassed every piece of software that worked on every linux distribution was never going to happen it doesn't matter that the aur is the best thing that ever happened like it could literally have been created by jesus um and there would have still been you know half the people who would think well Fuck Jesus, you know, exactly. build my own thing, you know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to hell for that, but still, <laughs> um, you, you know, it, it's just the way Linux works. So, um, I don't know, but that's the reason why I always come back to 
to an Archbase Distro. It's like I haven't gone without an Archbase Distro in years now because the AUR is so good. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to beat. Like it's just it's one of those things where it makes your life so much easier. And I mean, especially when it comes to you've gotten when you've gotten past the tinkering phase, which, by the way, can last decades with someone and a computer Mm -hmm. like but once you've gotten past your tinkering phase and you're no longer really interested in tinkering with programs and stuff like you just know what you want and you really don't give a shit how quick and dirty it's done like the aur is literally that it's perfect um like it's not the aur is not perfect but for a easy use case, it works swimmingly. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Um, so here's the last thing I'll say on this, and um, this is just like a general like PSA. If you've never used Arch Linux, if you, if you started out on your Linux journey and if you've only used Ubuntu or Linux Mint or something like that. I highly recommend installing an Arch-based distro. It doesn't have to be vanilla Arch. You don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Install Arco, install Endeavor, install Gerudo, whatever. Manjaro even. Um, Enable the AUR. Give it a try. And you'll see what we're talking about. Like, you'll see that... Like, like think of a... Do that stuff. And then think of 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 a piece of software that you've had to build on your other distribution. And then search for it in the AUR. And when it's there, you can just install it. I mean, it's like magic. You know, I mean, we've been talking about AUR, but you said something a minute ago, like the AUR is not perfect. And that's exactly right. We should Maybe we should talk about that for, for a second. The AUR has flaws. Like, because it's so moderated in a meh way, you know, <laughs> uh, overarching, you know, um, it's very easy for... Bad stuff to slip in. But mm-hmm. the biggest problem with the AUR is that anybody can put their pro- their projects slash programs on there mm-hmm. and then never update them again. Like yep. old ash, stale ass packages is by far the biggest problem on the AUR because um, especially for people who develop like developers who develop primarily for Ubuntu or whatever. Uh, you know, they were probably asked, hey, can you put it on the AUR? And they said, sure, I'll put it on the AUR. And then they forgot that they put it on the AUR, so their thing just was never updated. So you'll see, stu- you'll see stuff on there that is really old. Now, it's not something that happens all the time. Like, the, the main package and stuff, they're always going to get updated because those are usually maintained by someone in the community, not the developer themselves. Uh, but a lot of, like, libraries and stuff... Those can get really stale after a while. Well, um, I, I think it's it's oddly enough a kind of double-edged sword with the AUR. Like you get because of how widely um, known it is and how easy it is to get software put on there. You you have many obscure packages, but in having many obscure packages, you're obviously going to have many of those obscure packages be completely unmaintained and or just yeah, poorly maintained 
Um, so, uh, I don't know. Like it, it's one of those things where like the AUR has flaws, but typically most of the flaws come with the territory. Like mm-hmm. it's by n- nature, you're going to have them. Um, well, no package repository is immune to this problem. It's yeah. the thing, right? Like snaps have like, sometimes just snap packages on there are just going to be the old, oldest stuff. You know, it, it won't, you won't get the new version of Spotify or something like that because they didn't update it on snap, yeah. you know, um, PPAs obviously had this exact problem forever, only it was way worse than that every PPA was out of date, you know? And, yeah. and yeah. because there's not one single central place to find all the PPAs, you Google, you're looking for a program, you'd Google it, you would find a website, random Joe Schmo's website blog, uh, and they would have a link to a PPA or a, or a tutorial where one of the steps was you had to add a PPA to your Ubuntu system. And uh, you do that, and then either you would find out that the PPA was broken, not compatible with your version of Ubuntu, or it had all these programs in it that hadn't been updated since 2008. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? so the the PPAs had the, had the problem. Uh, I'm sure Flatpak has you know s- similar issues. Like there's no repository out there, period, that can escape the problem of old packages because when a developer develops something uh, and and they do a fantastic job you know they then have to do the hard part like developing the application is easy like it could be written in haskell i don't care it's still easy compared to the idea that when you want to distribute your program you have to distribute it for the UR, you have to distribute it for debian ubuntu you know uh, gentoo uh, you know OpenSUSE. Fedora, you know, <laughs> this, it, like, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we asked if there, are, if there are too many Linux distributions. This That's the reason why there are old packages on your repositories, because developers, there's there's no developer out there that, unless they have a huge team, that can manage all these separate packages. And that's the reason why developers love Electron. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like they can distribute one package everywhere, and it works just fine. You know what I mean? And, and it obviously gets way worse when they're creating a program that is cross-platform. You know, so if they had to they had to distribute to all of the Linux distribution repos, and then Windows and Mac, and you know, uh, you know, OpenBSD, whatever. Like it's it's. I am so glad I'm not a developer. <laughs> Those poor poor people. <laughs> yup, yup. It it's it's got to be rough and. and and I, th- I think it's one of those things where, like, half of the community would be fine with picking one standard and letting developers just produce for that one standard, like, say, Flatpak was the standard. Like, half half of the people would be fine with that. The other half would be not uh, unacceptable. We need options. We need we need everything. I, and I, oh, oh, my God, Tyler, the... I made a video a few days ago about how Calamari should be the installer for all of all Ubuntu distributions. Yeah, and I, I watched the first like two minutes of that, and I was like, "Oh, he's definitely gonna get some shit for this." The comment section on that is utter hilarious. How like there was one guy who was like, "How dare you take a, say you're gonna force all Linux?" So first of all, I did not say we should force all Linux distributions to do this. I just said they should do it. Um, 
uh, he said, like, how dare you take Linux is about freedom and, you know, you're never going to how dare you call yourself a Faustin Linux advocate when you want to take away the freedom uh, of of Linux distributions to do whatever the hell they want. Like, like, yeah. I, 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 I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like, OK, like, I'm, like I, I'm astonished at how many people were completely against that idea. Um, well, I mean, it's. It's one of those things where it, I, I have been astonished by how many people are completely like developers that I've heard from in Linux that are completely against standardization. And that's insane to me. Like I can't understand being a developer and being against standardization. Like that's, it's makes your job 10 times easier. And then if someone deviates from it, like and there's breakages like it's not your fault like i i think that's kind of exactly where everyone wants to be um developer wise uh, expe- especially if you're a developer like have a think, standard you would think that that'd be where everybody would want to be but apparently that's not true yeah. because, because just the response to that video but i mean, i i can understand like i can get i i, I understand that Linux and open source is about freedom and doing whatever you want. That is the primary reason why you open source something is because you can allow not only yourself, but other people to do whatever they want with the code within certain licensing terms and agreements. Right. Yeah. That's the whole point. If you take away anything like that and make something standard, you take away some of what makes FOSS great. However, my argument. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. See, I'm going to completely disagree with that. Statement. I'm going to agree with Whole myself heart. here for a second. Just let me finish. Okay. Um, the the point against what I just said is System D. System D is a standard. Okay. It doesn't mean to open RC and run it and you know Sys6 and uh, SysVNet and all those things. Those things all exist. You can use them, but System D is the standard. Every major Linux distribution uses System D. It doesn't mean that you can't do whatever you want with Linux and open source. Go create your own init system. Be whatever you want to be. Be the perfect happy little snowflake and make your own init system. It's perfectly fine. But but systemd has become the standard. It's the same thing with Xorg. You know, there are distributions out there that don't use Wayland or Xorg. They use their own display servers. Um, nobody uses them. But Xorg yeah. and Wayland have become the standard. And that doesn't mean – that hasn't taken away anybody's ability to do whatever they want. It's just, you know, those things have well, become that's, standards. that's why I was disagreeing with your original statement because it's like, no, it doesn't take away anything right. from, from freedom at all. Like you still have the freedom to deviate from the standard. Like I think a lot of people misinterpret – wanting standardization in Linux for wanting one thing and everyone has to use it. Like, no, like that's not what standardization is. Standardization is just, there's one thing that most people agree upon that we use to make life simpler. If you want to be cool or try something different, go off the beaten path, do it. Like, I mean, it's kind of like a, warranty you know like we're gonna cover you as long as you stick to the book 
if you go off the book, I'm sorry, we can't cover you. And I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like that doesn't, I mean, if you like, I, I think we all have had like Xboxes or some pre-built computer that has a warranty, like warranty void. If, if removed sticker on it and you've removed the sticker and like been edgy and gone in like upgraded your Ram or something like yeah, like it, it's not like you don't have the freedom to upgrade your stuff, like do something different. I, I I don't think anyone's advocating against that. It's just it's not a bad thing to have standardization where we can all agree on one thing and use one thing as a group. Well, like, I mean, it's not even all agree on or all agree, all agree. It's more that the vast majority of people have decided that this one thing is the best yeah. to use. I shouldn't have said all. I, I meant most. Most. At yeah. least most people. Yeah. Um, can and agree it happens in Linux all the time. Like I said, System D is a good example. Xorg is a, a, a good example. You know, and just because those things exist, I mean, it's because the reason why those things exist and the reason why people have settled on those be, is because they work really freaking well. Like they they have proven over the course of you know 20 years that they are stable somewhat secure <laughs> I'm not, not going to so much include xorg in that but you know uh you know they can be easily used in a variety of different circumstances no matter what distribution you're going to create um and the where where standards quote unquote standards are important is where it's a tool that every distribution relies on. So things like systemd, xorg, you know, uh, uh, libraries and stuff like that. But also, just because we have those standards, just because we have all agreed, or most of us have agreed, that systemd is the way to go, doesn't take anything away from the rest of the Linux ecosystem where we can't agree on shit. Um, you know, yeah. 500 different desktop environments, you know, 300 different window managers... We don't have to have a standard tiling window manager for all of us, okay? Uh, Dissertube is very happy over there in his Haskell, yeah. house bill of Haskell, in his Xmonad. X Tyler, you are the BSPM king now, right? I yep. prefer I3. Yep. Love it. You know, um, uh, TFL, you know, preferred I3. You know, I, I know a couple of people in my uh, community, big Qtile fans, you know, just because we have, just because we've all used System D, we still have these other places where we can all be unique, happy little people. You know. Well, I mean, and I have plenty of people. Like I, I still have the Void Gang that runs through my Discord every, every now and then. You know, does a, does a quick drive by. And it would have like been funny six... if you, if you'd said, if, we still have the Void Gang who streaks through my Discord every once in a while. Well, <laughs> I, I say they do drive bys because they come through and pop off shots and chat about other distros. Well, like, they'll just be like, well, you know, it's better over here on Void, like, to some weird comment, like, completely offhand, and then I'll get, like, six people that roll up, and, like, all just drop chats on, like, how using Void is just better than whatever's going on in chat. The one and in my... And then, and then they don't chat for, like, a week. They're, like, completely AWOL. It's it's the best. But, um, like, I mean, I, I, I don't think that having anything as a standard means that you'll have like everybody using it you're still going to have people that go off cause... i think i think that people worried that if you create one standard and everybody uses it that everything therefore will become windows like yeah i think well, that's, that's I, what they're worried about 
Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest worry on Linux is where software becomes dependent on the standard. Um, but the ironic thing about that is uh, I have a perfect example of how that fear being irrational. I use private internet access. Um, originally, I had to use a system D distro to use private internet access, my VPN, because that's what it was hard coded to use. Like it only worked with system D. They're a proprietary company that doesn't really give a shit about Linux. Like most of their clients, I would assume, are mobile and like Windows and Mac users because um, they're pretty mainstream. So I'm going to assume that most people are, are you again, statistics wise, it would assume most people are using other clients than Linux for their VPN and um, they've made it to where now I believe it runs with like OpenRC and run it now. Um, I, I, I'm 99% sure they added it for OpenRC and run it. I'm pretty sure there might, they might've added another one as well, but like they're, they're a proprietary company. They don't, they don't care about FOSS at all. And they're still focusing on support on getting in support for non-standards. So I think standards just give developers a good starting place to target, and then they can build off of that and add support in other areas. I mean, if you're going to target Linux, especially now with it still being an extremely small market share, if you're going to target them at all, you want to be target, t targeting at least at the get-go, the most people that you possibly can in that small market. And so standardization helps with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, um, that, I mean, that's definitely one thing that is true is that if we had more, a little bit more standardization, like if we had a package system that ran all the way through the all the distros, we'd have so much more software from big corporations. Because one of the biggest turnoffs from like Adobe and, and Microsoft is that they would have to support every single Linux issue. So, like, even right now... Well, it's not even supporting each different one. If you're a big company, and, like, you've spent a lot of money getting your brand to the point that it is now, you are you don't want an inconsistent experience. Mm -hmm. Like, you just don't. It's unacceptable, and... From a PR standpoint, it's it's unacceptable. So you need a consistent experience. If every Linux distro is completely different, then that's a bad thing because you have a completely inconsistent experience. Mm -hmm. But if most popular Linux distros have standards that they stick to, then for the most part, you have a consistent experience. And there will with Linux, there will always be the because we are so focused on freedom there's always going to be the free, you're never going to have a completely consistent experience especially when you know you've got that one user who's like using linux from scratch on their desktop computer like you, mm. i'm sorry but you just you can't no you're there's you're always going to have an inconsistent experience somewhere but for the most part that's way better like that at least that at least gets a developer interested the no one, no one like, all right, like, let's say I gave you a hammer 
Like I, I have, I have a hammer, like two hammers on the table. One is just a regular hammer. It just like, it's just a regular hammer. You can hit a nail. It's always going to hit the nail, but I give you another hammer that has a magnet in it that moves around like randomly. And so about 80% of the time you can hit a nail. Which one would you want to buy first? Well, the regular hammer. Okay. Now, let's say I say the regular hammer that just works all the time costs $10 and the other one's free. And you've got, like, you're a millionaire. Which, which one are you going to get? Well, I mean, you still want the one that works, but... Exactly. I would like, choose the free one. <laughs> exactly. But if you have, but if you have, if you already have the, the money and everything and you're already essentially for this analogy, we're talking about big companies here when they already have a massive market share, they've got a lot of success. If they're going to make any deals or buy anything or get in invested in into anything, they want the best solid opportunity they can. And standardization gives them that opportunity to have a consistent experience, something that people actually will want to use and not just, cause them a lot of bug reports. I mean, not everybody remembers it, but Rocket League was a fantastic game that had great native Linux support. They dropped the native Linux support because they, it was a very small amount of their user base, but they generated m much, much more bug reports than any other uh, of their user bases. So percentage-wise, it didn't make sense for them to cater to a super small niche that generated more problems than even a larger user base. Well, I mean, just last thought on this. To this day, Steam still only officially supports Ubuntu. Like, no. officially, out of the box, Steam will not provide you with support if you use a different distribution. And uh, they have a console right now that doesn't run Ubuntu, so... Um, it's just one of those things. Anyways, we have to move on. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Uh, AUR is great, by the way. Yes. <laughs> kind of, we've, we did kind of meander off the point, but it was a good conversation. So uh, every week, Tyler and I have a section that we put at the end of the show that we have creatively called Thingy of the Week. Now, we could have called this any number of things, like App of the Week, Pick of the Week, things like that. Um, but those things were taken. Uh, copyright claims and all that. So... Our section is called Thingies of the Week. Tyler, what is your thingy of the week? Metahuman Creator. Um, it's absolutely the most fun little tool I've ever used. It's awesome. Um, it's obviously for made in mind with using in Unreal. Um, and again, you can get Unreal on Linux. Um, for those of you who are using Arch and using the AUR, I, I, I believe on because it's in the AUR, you actually don't need a GitHub account to, or um, like an, I think you'll still need your Epic Games account to still use the engine, but um, you won't need like a GitHub account so you can like link it to get the source code. I'm pretty sure uh, the AUR package takes care of that for you, which is pretty nice. Um, but uh, the MetaHuman Creator, it's a way of making extremely, uh, unbelievably realistic human models. Um, and it, it's, it's just really cool. Uh, you use it straight from the browser. 
Um, and they connect you to like a front end where they have like an NVIDIA GPU farm or whatever that runs all their instances and you design characters and then, um, it's, it's tied to your Epic games account. So when you load up the engine, um, they have a bridge section and you click on that and you can actually just import your metahuman straight into unreal and they're fully rigged. Um, you've got, um, like a facial control so you can like give them different, um, facial positions. You can animate them talking. Um, it's, it's extremely cool. It's, it's really fun to mess around with. Even if you're not going to download the engine or anything, I'd highly recommend just for like 30 minutes, go play around with it. It's super fun. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I've been messing around with a lot lately. That sound cool. So, uh, mine is a game, and it's a new one. It's written in Python. It's a terminal game. It's called Poket. And basically what this is, is a complete and utter ripoff of Pokemon. And you can play Pokemon right in your terminal. It's, um, it's text-based, so it's not going to be, like, graphically intensive or anything. But it's really, really cool. Um, it has, like, weather and... Um, it has the ability to obviously manage your, you know, the things you catch and it has a story that you, you play through. It is really good and really well thought out. Like it's not, it is a Pokemon, like, you know, you're playing Pokemon when you're playing it. Right. But mm -hmm. it, it also, it, it feels a little bit different. It's cause there's like, there's no color, really not a lot of color anyways. Um, you know, it's just, it's fun. Like, if you liked Pokemon, you like this, it's in your terminal. It's cool. It was also featured on Unix Porn, which is where I found it. I haven't played a lot of it yet, but I'm going to be playing much more of it uh, right after the podcast. <laughs> so, because uh, Pokemon is the shit. Like, seriously, like, I was playing Pokemon before you were born, Tyler. I'm just going to put Pokemon this out. Pokemon is the shit, though. It's so good. <laughs> So good. Yeah, it is good. All right, anyways, so that is uh, the Linux cast. We, uh, again, we record this now every Friday around 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to join us live and in the chat, I know we don't pay too much attention to the chat while we're talking. If we did, it would be four hours long. I So That's I apologize so if you're in the chat and you said something to me. Um, I probably saw it. I was just talking about other things. So uh, I do apologize for that. But I do appreciate everybody who watches us live. You all keep us entertained when we do, because I usually do read most of what's in the chat. Um, but, anyways, um, Fridays, 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, we usually bullshit for about 20 minutes before we start recording, and then we go until about 4.45 or so, usually. Anyways, so if you want to uh, support me on Patreon, you can do so before I go. I should take a moment to run the scroll of all of my current patrons. Again, patreon.com slash linuxcast. Thanks to all of these people who have supported me over the last year and a half. I really, truly do appreciate it. And yes, I'm not saying the names anymore. I, I do apologize to everyone who so supports me and expects me to say your name. Um, but there's just so many of you. It would take a long time. And I'm not good at it. Like, I, I, I'm just not good. <laughs> some, of the, some of the takes that I had when I was recording videos and saying the names... It took me like half an hour just to say the names because I would mess up on, uh, like when Uncle Bonehead joined, I messed up his name over and over again. Like it's not even hard to say, uh, <laughs> but I definitely messed up everything 
when when he came in and it just required me to you know start over again so anyways thanks for all your support all the patrons if you haven't already make sure you hit the subscribe button and uh, we'll see you next week Bye.